the series called Grow. How many believe it's the will of God for you to change? How many believe that change should be a lifelong experience that you have in the Lord? How many know growing means changing, yes or no? So we've been talking about this the last number of weeks, and we've been talking about what spiritual growth looks like. Biblically, there are three phases to spiritual growth, and we've looked at, the, at babyhood, childhood. Today, we're going to look at adulthood and what it looks like to be an adult believer. Uh, weeks past, we looked at four characteristics of spiritual babies. Number one, babies need a lot of help. How many have had kids and know what I mean? And then secondly, how many know babies are innocent? They don't have a past. And how many know none of us have a past in Christ? When you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse their sins and lawless deeds I remember no more. Babies are hungry. Babies are curious. And then also babies are self-centered. Life is all about me and meeting my needs. Then secondly, last week we looked at the characteristics of spiritual children. And we uh, looked at four things. We talked about distraction. We talked about talkativeness. Oh boy. The need for recognition. And again, self-will. So we looked at that last week and... uh, the videos are on our website. You can go to YouTube and uh, the videos and, the, uh, and also on our website. The notes are there as well. So if you haven't been here those past weeks, make sure you go check that out because I can't go back and say everything I said. I, have, uh, I did mention last week uh, a quote I got from a book called um, Leadership Pain by Samuel Chan. There is no growth without change, no change without pain. And so there's no growth without pain. How many know spiritual growth will cost you something? And so uh, we've been talking about that week after week after week. So the question I have for me is, am I interested enough in walking with God? Am I interested enough in the day that I I stand before Jesus after I finish my earthly journey and transition into the spiritual world and stand before Jesus? Am I interested enough now to be able to hear that day well done good and faithful servant? Am I willing enough now to make changes needed for him to smile and say, add a boy, add a girl? How many want to hear that from him? So we've been talking about some things. Today, I want to look at five characteristics of spiritual adults. And again, we have the handout. This is just, this is just surface. We got a lot to fill in. Uh, my notes, I have a lot, a lot of things in my notes. I usually don't even get to all of them. So we'll fill in the blanks with all this today. Let's look at what does it look like to be a spiritual adult? How can you tell that you're growing in the Lord and that you're becoming, and, and spiritual things are really, really beginning to take off in your life? Number one, the first thing, first characteristic of a spiritual adult is, number one, natural things take second place to spiritual things. How many remember that Jesus said, seek what? The kingdom of God? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I was reminded of Hebrews 11, uh, Moses, and it says Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying, enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead for his great reward. So, you know the story of Moses. Moses was lifted. His mother put him in a basket because the Egyptian rulers were killing the firstborn of uh, the Hebrews, and his mother spared his life, put him in a basket. The daughter of Pharaoh uh, uh, took the little baby out of the basket. Moses was raised 
in Pharaoh's court. They went to school in Egypt, and they were actually raising and training uh, Moses to be one of the Pharaohs. So he was skilled in all of the works of the Egyptians, the Bible says in the book of Acts, and was mighty in word and mighty in deed. And so he grew up, grew up being groomed to be a leader in Egypt. I mean, this is an exemplary man with exemplary skills, exemplary talents. He, was, he would be well off the rest of his life because he would be an Egyptian ruler. And at 40 years of age, he saw the plight of his Hebrew brothers and sisters and, and actually took matters into his own hands, disobeyed God, killed a man, hid him in the sand, and, and then fled for his life because he valued his relationship with God over his relationship with the uh, Egyptian rulers. And he, and he ran for 40 years, actually became a shepherd, tended his father-in-law's sheep, and there God taught him lessons. How many know God's got life lessons for all of us? And those lessons are sometimes difficult to learn. learn. Sometimes it's grueling to learn them. But once you learn them, how many know it changes who you are and changes how you live? And so God kind of had to put Moses, he had so much personal ambition, put him on the backside of a desert for 40 years, 80 years of age. Don't ever think you're too old to serve God. Don't ever think you're too old to obey God. Don't think you're too old for your life to make a difference. How many know regardless of how old you are, your life can count? You go through the scriptures, young, middle-aged, and old. God uses anybody who's an open vessel for his glory. And so there was Moses. He's, in the, he's doing his normal stuff, you know, tending to the animals. And this bush catches on fire. And God revealed himself to him and said, I'm going to use you to deliver your brothers. It's been in your heart. You did it wrong the first time. You'll do it right the second time. And I'm going to use you for my glory. You know, what happened to Moses? He put aside his natural stuff. And he saw spiritual things as more important than natural things. And the Bible says about Moses, there was never such a man who, who saw God face to face face calls him the friend of God that's a big deal see he treasured his relationship with God his relationship with the Lord really Jesus because Jesus is eternal more than the natural things he could have had it made in the shade he didn't have to spend 40 years in the backside of the desert but he did it because he valued spiritual things over natural things so when I look at that story I have to ask myself about my life what about me do I value natural things over spiritual things are the natural accolades or the natural accomplishments? Is the money more important than God? How many know if you have God, you're going to have blessing? But how many know if you, if you have blessing without God, how many know it may cost you and cost you dearly? How many hear me? So, you know, just some real lessons there. So let me ask just, just a couple of questions. Uh, if you regularly put spiritual things second, I want to challenge you. Where is your spiritual life? And so uh, let's talk about putting uh, natural things, take second place to spiritual things for a spiritually uh, person that's becoming spiritually mature. So let me talk about that just a minute and a couple of disclaimers I need to say. And let me say from the start that a person who puts spiritual things above natural things is not sitting in the corner singing kumbaya all day long and reading his bible and praying no that person is one of the most responsible people that you'll ever meet i don't know what you call these people who say they're spiritual they spend all day reading their bibles and they neglect their their parent their uh, spouses neglect their their wife neglect their husband neglect their children neglect responsibility don't pay their bills yada yada that is not a spiritual person that's a crazy nuthead person who thinks they know God 
And I've met a few of those kind of individuals in my tenure in ministry since 1981. And I would never call not one of them spiritual. You know, they're Looney Tunes. Now, let me just say this. The more spiritual you get, the more your feet are planted on earth, the more practical your life is, the more responsible you become, the more loving you are, the easier you are to get along with, the more gentle you become. But you know what? If somebody is looking for a faithful person, they look for that person who puts Jesus first. How many hear me? So I just thought I'd say that off the cuff. And in passing, so, uh, you know, again, again, a person who is becoming a spiritual adult, natural things take second place to spiritual things. There's another place to add here. You know, nothing wrong with having hobbies. I have hobbies. I like to cycle on the Noose River Trail. I like to work in my yard. I like to do natural things. I'm a techie kind of guy. I like to do techie kind of things. And so when I have some spare moments, I do all of the above. I like to exercise. I work out. You know, um, most every day, and, and I ride my bicycle when I can. I power walk. I do all those things. But, but you know what I make sure of? I make sure before I do all those things that my spiritual life is taken care of first. How many hear what I'm saying? So I want to make sure my spiritual tank is full. If you try to, if you try to live life without your spiritual tank being full of, uh, of spiritual energy, you're going to get in the flesh. And how many know you're going to mess up? And sometimes you mess up worse than we ever realize, right? And so I do all those things. So my encouragement, have hobbies. I have hobbies. I do things on the side, you know. But I put spiritual things above natural things. I wake up every morning. I get in the Word. Even on my days off, I pray. I seek God. And uh, because that's just the nature of life. Because I know if I turn on that spiritual furnace on the inside, that spiritual furnace on the inside is going to catapult me into a life and walk with Jesus that day that will help me overcome all of the negatives that life brings. How many hear what I'm saying? So my encouragement, you know, a spiritual person will put, will put spiritual things over natural things. Not that they don't do the natural, but they take care of the spiritual first. How many hear what I'm saying? So nothing wrong with watching Netflix, nothing wrong with going out of town, nothing wrong with going to the beach, going to the mountains. But let me also say this. If you spend all of your extra time away from church life, away from spiritual values, away from being with the people of God, and every time you get a moment you're not in town, it's probably going to affect your spiritual life. That went over big, didn't it? How many know that? I know some people, they like to so like to chill that every moment they get to chill, they're never around. And so you know what? Local church can't count on them to, to be faithful on the dream team, to help out, to do things, to outreach to the, to the community because every moment they're not working, they're away. And you know what? Uh, it, may be, it may be a precedent that that person's setting that natural things are more important to them than spiritual things. Just, just something to think about. Just something to think about. I know in our day, again, nothing wrong with chilling. I like to chill. Every seventh week, I take a break. You know why? Because I'm an intense guy. Ask anybody that knows me. I'm intense. My mother has yet to figure me out. Because every minute of every day, I'm about it. I mean, I'm after life, y'all. How many hear me? I got a honey-do list a mile long at home. I got a spiritual list. I got a, I mean, you know, I got stuff. And so my time is important to me. And I make sure it counts, but I make sure, number one, Jesus is at the front of every list. How many hear what I'm saying? 
So, you know, just an encouragement. Put spiritual things first. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, there's much more we would like to say about this. The apostle Paul said to the Hebrew believers there, I believe he wrote the book of Hebrews. It may not have, but I think he possibly could have. But it's difficult to explain, especially since you're spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long that you ought to be teaching others instead. You need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. It's tough, isn't it? For someone who lives on milk is still an infant, doesn't know how to do what's right. Solid food is for those who are mature, uh, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Let me also say when spiritual things take precedent over natural things, feelings take a back seat. And so you do what you're supposed to do regardless of how you feel. You know, let me just say a person that does what I do, I got to be on every Sunday and every Wednesday. I don't have the privilege of having an off day spiritually because somebody always has a need and there's always something going on. So you know what I've had to learn to do throughout my life is, you know, I don't care if I feel lousy, feelings don't matter. What matters is God, his word, his promises, and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me who I believe is quickening me every day. How many hear that? So you may not know it, but there's some days I get up to preach. I say, God, if you don't show up today, nothing's going to happen. I don't have anything to say. I feel flat today. Everybody has those days. But when you learn to put spiritual things first, you learn to live beyond your feelings. How many hear me? So, so, so that means when you get to the office and instead of, instead of being the grumpy old person all day, well, leave me alone today. I'm being good. Well, shut up. Just shut up. You know? Smile, make yourself smile. We we'll say you're not being real. You know, well, you know what, life is real. You can say I feel miserable, but God is good. Amen. You know, I can be honest with my wife when I get up and say, I know, you know, feeling wise, I feel pretty lousy today. Would rather keep the covers over my head. But you know what, by the glory of God, my feet are on terra firma, my feet are on the ground. And you know what, we're going to do something for Jesus today. Amen. You know, if you have that kind of attitude, how many know it can help? Well, anyway, that was all free. Number two, a, a spiritual adult, unaffected, watch this one now, this is tough, Unaf is unaffected by compliments or criticism, or back at it, criticism or compliments. So how about you? Do you get real lifted up when somebody says, boy, ain't you something, look what you did, thank you. Do you go, well, yeah, that was pretty good. If you can't get your head out the door and somebody gives you a compliment, there's just a big problem. Or if you're looking for accolades, if you're looking for somebody to recognize you when you do things and they get kind of pouty when they don't recognize your accomplishments. How many know the flesh is in charge? Huh? And at the same time, on the other end, when somebody criticizes you, you know, if you just go into a great depression, somebody criticized me. Well, you know, welcome to the human race. Not everybody's going to like you or agree with what you're doing. Back in the early 80s, I was in my, uh, this is 1982, I think. And um, Susan and I went to a seminar. And anybody know Jerry Savelle? He's a Texan, wonderful man of God. And uh, well, anyway, he was teaching one day and I wrote what he said. It meant so much to me. I wrote it on the fly leaf of my Bible at the time. And I just got, I was just, had been in ministry for one year at the time. And I never forget what he said. And I'd always turn to the front of my Bible and read this one, one quote I got. that If I got nothing else out of that seminar, I got that one thing. He said, don't be moved by the cheers nor the jeers. Now, don't you like that? Don't be moved by the cheers or the jeers. So, you know, how many know that's called humility when, 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 when nothing moves you? 
Somebody says, add a boy, add a girl, good job. You don't let it go to your head. Or if somebody says, you, you are a sorry piece of something, you say, well, you know, God bless you. How many hear me? Need to be able to, to, do, to do both. Someone said true humility is forgetfulness of self. You just don't put yourself in the equation when you're thinking about doing things for God. Um, Philippians chapter 1, look at this. Uh, the Apostle Paul said this. The Apostle Paul practiced the lack of self-awareness. He was aware of Jesus and he was aware of others, but he didn't think about how life treated him. Watch this. Philippians 1, for me to live as Christ, to die as game. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I choose I can't tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh, is more needful for you. He didn't consider what he wanted. He thought about what Christ wanted. He thought about what others needed, put himself last. That's a spiritually mature adult. Galatians 2.20, my old self's been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in the earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. So what I think, what I feel, what others say, what others don't say, criticize, criticisms that come. You know what? Nothing moves me. Man, that's what he said in Acts 20. Listen to this. He said, but none of these things move me. People were criticizing him. People wanted to kill him. People thought he was all wrong. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Isn't that awesome? So let me tell you my little story. See, the way I was raised, I was raised, um, um, the circumstances that I was raised in, to make a long story short, uh, produced um, an acute reaction to criticism. Just the way I was raised. I I was young, starting school. People picked on me mercilessly at school. And then uh, just the way way things were, uh, the clothes I wore, the way my hair, when I had hair, it was curly and unmanageable to me. And because of that, I I developed an acute reaction to uh, criticism. And uh, anyway, I didn't value me. I felt like nobody else valued me. So I assumed an attitude of rejection. And when I got, became an adult, and actually God called me into ministry, and, uh, and I, I started going to Bible school and all that, um, it, it was a, just a big deal to me to deal with, with cri- and criticism would just set me off. And so as an adult, because of the rejection issues in my own life, criticism would set me off. And for a lot of years, I wouldn't accept to receive criticism. Or if somebody criticized me, I just wanted to quit. I just wanted to quit doing this or quit doing that. And it really, really bothered me. And that's something that I knew was an Achilles heel for me that I had to deal with. I had, not, had I not dealt with that appropriately, I couldn't be here today. Because, you know, if you're going to pastor a church, you're going to be criticized. And you find out real quick, uh, some people like you and some people just don't care for you at all. And they tell others they don't like you. And so, you know, that acute criticism thing I had to deal with. Or, or you might be on the other seat. But that's a self thing. That's a selfish thing. For me to give a hoot about what you think about me, I'm thinking more about me than I do with Jesus. Yes or no? And if I'm living for your praise all day, guess what? I'm thinking more about me than I'm thinking of Jesus. Selah. Think about that, right? 
right? So, so or, or for you, it might be the other end of the spectrum. Maybe, maybe, maybe you came from a, a pedigree. Man, your family's got it. The blue bloods of the city and, and everything just works out right. And, you know, you got the degrees and you've got ability, you've got skill. And things have always worked magically for you. And, and you really think you're something. You know you have these giftings and, and you want everybody else to know you have these giftings. You prideful thing. See, that's the other end of the spectrum. And you know what? That can hinder you in God just like uh, uh, not dealing with criticism appropriately can hinder you in God. I love what the Apostle Paul said. 1 Corinthians 4, 3, Philip's translation, God gave me this. God gave me this in the 80s as I was dealing with, uh, with the acute criticism situation for me. He said, but as a matter of fact, it matters very little to me what you or any man thinks of me. I don't even value my opinion of myself. Isn't that awesome? But that doesn't justify me before God. My only true judge is God himself. So he basically said, you know what? When push comes to shove, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. The thing I'm wanting is I want Jesus to think the right things about me. So I live in his shadow. I live in the shadow of his smile. If I'm pleasing him, I may please you sometimes or I may not please you. I may not even please me, but it's okay. I'm not living for me. I'm not living for you. I'm living for him. How many know that's a good way to live? How many know that takes the angst out of life? How many would agree it takes a while to get there? So I'm telling you, I have struggled up this ladder. And you know what? To get there where you're not moved by the cheers nor the jeers, that's a challenge for all of us. And so I just want to encourage you, think about that a little bit. Number three, um, uh, characteristics of a spiritual adult. I love this one. Ability to see God in every life event. There's no better example than the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph. Joseph uh, was loved by his father so much that uh, he had this coat that, uh, that was exquisite from his brother's clothing. And bottom line, they got jealous of him, threw him uh, into, sl- into a, a slave caravan. He got sold into Egypt. Bottom line, he got put into prison for 13 years, 17 years of age. His brothers, uh, uh, you know, grabbed him and, and, and sold him as a slave for 13 years. Joseph, through no fault of his own, was placed in prison in Egypt. People lied about him, did wrong, said things that were not true. And he spent 13 years in prison. And, and then he come out of prison and, and became a prime minister of Egypt during a terrible famine. And listen to Genesis 45 when his brothers came to see him with the famine, had no food to eat. They knew that they didn't even, they thought he was dead, told his father animal had killed him and so when he appeared before them because they were hungry here's what Joseph said at age 30 and they hadn't seen him since he was 17 I am Joseph your brother whom you sold into Egypt but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me for God sent me before you to preserve your life for these two years the famine has been in the land and there's still five years in which there will neither be plowing or harvesting and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Whew! Did you hear that? 
Did you hear his attitude? He had been away from his family, sold as a slave, in prison, and, 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 and didn't do anything worthy of prison for 13 years. But in the middle of his most negative circumstance you could ever imagine, Joseph saw the hand of God. He saw the hand of God dealing and moving in his life. How many know when it looks bad, sometimes God's doing something really great in you? I have lived long enough, listen to this, I have lived long enough now looking back on my life. Every single thing I thought would end me was my ruin, was the thing that caused me to catapult into something greater in God. Every single time. I'm not proud of this, but at 32 years of age, I actually contemplated taking my own life because life was so grueling. Life was so hard. Ministry seemed impossible. If you want to see what's inside, start a church in a small town of just a few thousand people where everything's ingrown. Everybody knows everybody and politics is in everything. You start a church, a full gospel church, and that's, you'll find out what you're made of. Well, I just wanted to kill me. And I look back on that, and I, obviously I didn't, but I look back on that, and, and you know what? I've said often, God, I wouldn't take $100 million, seriously, if, if uh, Mr. Gates would say, here's $100 million if you just recant Jesus and forget about your life. I'd say, go jump in the lake. Just forget it. No. I wouldn't take any amount of money for what Jesus did in me during that time in my life. So listen, some of you are going through some really hard places right now. You know, see the hand of the Lord in your life. You may not be able to see the end from the beginning right now, but you know what? Keep your eyes on him because he's always got your best interest to heart. And a person that is spiritually mature is able to see God in every event in life. I've got a whole lot to say about this. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and listen to Hebrews 5, speaking of Jesus and his earth walk. Even though Jesus was God's son, Hebrews 5, 8, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Wow. So you may be going through a hard thing on the job or maybe it's a challenging thing in your family or maybe just the circumstances that you find yourself in right now are less than what you like and you just feel like you're being hemmed in on every side. God's, God wants to do something great in your life. How many hear that? I did a blog last week on the mother eagle and God, uh, God dealt with Israel just like the mother eagle uh, deals with her young. I was going to skip this, but I've got to read it as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him, that is Israel. What does, and that's how God deals with us. What does the mother eagle do to get that baby eaglet out of the nest that may be a mile high on the, on the side of a mountain? Well, she feathers the nest with her own down, her own soft feathers. But as that baby grows and she feeds it every day, she knows the day will come. That baby's got to live on its own. She won't, be, she won't be able to hunt enough to provide food for a great big eagle one day. So what does she do? She makes that baby eagle's life uncomfortable, takes the feathers out the nest, exposing thorns. Baby gets on the side of the nest. Mother knocks him off the nest with her beak. He plunges to the earth, thinking he's going to die. And just before he hits the ground, Mother Eagle, as fast as she is, picks him up on her back, and he grabs her back with his claws. She puts him back on the, on the nest, and she does it over and over and over. Not, and the baby eagle didn't realize that while Mama 
he thinks she's gone cuckoo. What she's doing is saving his life because every time he gets knocked off the desk, he's got to flap his wings and he's flaps, as he flaps his wings, he's developing the muscles in his wings. You may not realize the hard place you're in is the place that God has to place you. For you to get out of where you are to the next phase he has for your life. So don't despise the hard place. Learn to accept it and give glory to God. Count it all joy when you fall into different hard places, James said. Anyway, I feel like preaching and that felt really good. Philippians 4.11, y'all give me five more minutes, we're done. Philippians 4.11, I've learned in whatever condition I am. This is Arthur S. Way's translation, listen. And this is not in my notes that you guys have. I've learned in whatever condition I am to be independent of circumstances. I'm schooled to bear the depths of poverty. I'm schooled to bear abundance, Paul said. In life as a whole, in all its circumstances, I have mastered the secret of living. How to be the same, amidst repletion and starvation, amidst abundance and privation. And then he ended it by saying, I am equal to every lot through the help of him who gives me inward strength. Isn't that awesome? So, so a person who is becoming spiritually mature has the ability to see God in every life event. See him that way and grow. Number four, a, spiritually, uh, a person who's becoming a spiritual adult has respect for and submission to spiritual leaders. That went over real big. Look at that. That got a real applause. So let me ask you a question. Who's your pastor? Who's your pastor? You know, you, you could come to victory, and, and, but, but I'm not your pastor because you won't let me be. How, how about that? Uh, the stats are, this is really weird to me. I, I read a lot of things. And, and the latest thing I've read about church life is the average American. America, how many know we, we need to shore it up a bit spiritually? We need to come up a notch here. The average American stays in a church now average of 2.8 years. It says less than, it's actually 2.8 years. It's a little over two years. Isn't that crazy? Now, let me ask you a question. How are you going to develop a long, a good relationship with anybody if you're flitting around here, there, here, there, here? I know we move and I understand moving. I understand job situations. And uh, in fact, we have a lot of ex-military people in our church now. And I understand you move a lot if you're in the military and other jobs you move around. You know, notwithstanding that, you know, if you live in the city for a period of time, but you can't get settled in need a local church, how many know there is a problem? Huh? Yeah, yeah. So do you stay, here's the question, do you stay in the church long enough to disagree? Because that really shows, that really shows where you are spiritually. It's easy, it's easy to stay somewhere where hip, hip, hooray, I love everything they're doing, I believe in everything they're doing, but, but you know, honeymoon's over one day. And when honeymoon's over in a marriage, that's when you find out what that person you married really like. And that's when you got to put up with their individual idiosyncrasies. And you got to love them when they, all their habits are backwards and opposite of yours. And you think they're wrong, but equally they think you're wrong. Because you're raised on different pages. How many hear me? Same way in local church. Hmm. So, uh, you know, sign of a maturity when you're willing and able to yield when you don't agree with how things are. So... Um, 
1 Thessalonians, here's, listen to these scriptures, really good, several of them here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live with pe- in peace with each other. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that's come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Then Hebrews 13, 17, obey your spiritual leaders, do what they say. They, uh, their, work is, uh, their work is to watch over your souls and they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy, not with sorrow. This would certainly not be for your benefit. People don't realize, you know, as a pastor, I'm going to stand before Jesus. And answer for your life. I know. Really? Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to answer for how you are. And Jesus is going to say, what, what, what about Bo? And what about you? What about this person? What about that person? What about Ed? And what about Anthony? What about Victoria? He's going, what about you? I have to answer for you. How many know you want to do it right? So, so ask yourself the question, do I have a, a, a respect for the, the spiritual leaders that God has placed in the family of God? Do you, not just me, but how about the staff members here? Hello, right? Huh? Yeah. Uh, let me give you a story. I got time to tell this. Um, oh, way back in 1991, uh, I was in a traveling ministry. I'd started a church, turned it over to someone, had a business on the side, and I was also traveling on the weekend. So um, just the circumstances, I began to attend a church in my hometown. I've told this story before, bears repeating. But uh, So I, I found myself in my hometown going to a church that a friend of mine pastored. I'm sitting on the back row, and just sitting there. And I've pastored, I've been on church staff at large churches and all that, and I've traveled, and I was traveling. And so I'm sitting there, and, and man, everything was going wrong. I mean, everything. The, the, the praise and worship leader was late, his guitar was out of tune, uh, uh, the, the ushers weren't giving the people the time of day. The praise and worship was a little bit off. See, I, and I was saying, look at that. And inside of me, I'm thinking, this thing's off, man. God, this thing's just off. This thing's off. These people are wrong. Look at that head usher. He's just wrong. Look at, look at that praise and worship leader. He's just wrong. That pastor, he needs to learn how to preach the word. I mean, he needs to change his notes. Man, I'm just, I'm just giving them down, you know, just really chewing them out inside. And i never forget the Lord. I mean, it was so strong, y'all. I heard right here, who are you that you judge another man's servant? He's not your servant, he's mine. He's not, he's not doing what he does as unto you. He's doing it as unto me. He don't answer to you, he answers to me. And it's almost as though the Lord said, just for that, this is your local church, this is your home. Hallelujah. And you know what? I stayed, and actually, I actually pastored the church for one year in the pastor's place. You know what I learned? I learned to esteem people I disagree with, don't, don't like how they do what they do, but love them anyway because God placed them there, not me. Amen. How many hear me? And every church I've ever been in, oh, there are things I disagreed with. Y'all, I keep a journal that you will never lay your eyes on, I promise. But I've written in my journal, why does that pastor, why does he think that? And all this stuff about the church, the leadership, wherever I've been. And, and you know, I've always ended it with, but God, you know, you know better than me. And you know what I don't know. So I commit all that to you. I'm glad I did it that way because now I'm pastor. How many hear me? 
You know, a, spirit, a person who is growing in the Lord and is becoming spiritually mature, uh, they have respect and submission for spiritual leaders. Then lastly, a person who is becoming spiritually mature has an ability to love people they don't like. Perhaps that's the biggest gauge of spiritual growth. Question, ask yourself. It's easy to love people who love you back. It's easy to love people with the values that you have. It's easy to love people who do life the way you do it. Uh, It's easy to love people who have a lot of likes that you have and are are like you in many ways. But can you love the people who are opposite of you, who don't do life the way you do it? That's the real telltale sign of a person who is growing and maturing spiritually. Bottom line is there is no spiritual growth without growth in love. Yes or no? True statement. So let me just cut to the chase here. I got all these notes, but I got to read this from the classic Amplified. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love is never envious nor bowls over with jealousy. It's not boastful, vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily, It's not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride. It's not rude, unmannerly, does not act unbecomingly. See, we could talk about these for at least 10 minutes each. Love, God's love in us, doesn't insist on its own rights or its own way, for it's not self-seeking. It's not touchy, not fretful, it's not resentful. I love this part. It takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. That means it doesn't pout and become silent when it doesn't get its way. That goes over big, right? It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevails. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Well, I just quit. No, love won't quit, right? Is ever ready to believe the best of every person, that means it doesn't listen to gossip. It hopes, its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Isn't that awesome? So I wrote this yesterday, so this will save time because i got to quit. Here we are. Listen to this. So, so um, your spouse aggravates you to the core. Your boss is arrogant to opinionated. Your co-workers constantly saying and doing things you can't stand. Your dog poops in your yard every Saturday morning. And maybe the people at your church are just stuck up to you. Then maybe, just maybe, you're right where God wants you to be. Because he wants you to grow. And you'll never grow without the rub of conflict. Hello? Is that true? So, you know, muscles grow with resistance. And when there's the resistance to what you like, when, you're, when, you're, when you have to lo- love those that you think are unlovable, that's when you know you're making a mark and you're getting higher, you're moving a step forward, you're growing spiritually. A person who is developed in love is dependable, slow to judge, slow to speak, quick to hear, needs no credit, holds no grudges, totally owns his or her actions and choices, makes others feel at ease and always believes the best of others. Isn't that good?